IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about new albums by Monaskin and White Reaper. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. I hope he's prepared for me to go negative in the banter segment. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I really hope we haven't officially codified, like, let's get to the meat of the episode within 30 minutes. Because, like, this is more of a, you know, when I make, like, pork shoulder in an instant pot, like, I feel like I have to just, like, set it come back in 40 minutes and just like let you cook i am so i've like very rarely been more stoked to hear a banter segment than this one well it's interesting because we are basically doing like a state of mainstream rock episode like we didn't plan this it's just how things aligned because we got the mona skin talk and white reaper in the meat segment and then in the banter segment we have two bands who uh, I hate. <laughs> I hate these bands, but they're both in the news, so we're going to talk about them. And like I said, I, I'm going to go a little negative here. I might get a little ranty, and I, I just want to apologize in advance, but hopefully for our listeners and for you, Ian, it'll be cathartic. I, I don't know how you feel about these bands. Oh, let's find out. Uh, the first band is Panic at the Disco. Uh, they announced this week that they are breaking up. Uh, and I think they're doing like one more tour. Sure. <laughs> right? I think they're doing a tour. Uh, it's a little strange because this band is basically the lead singer, Brandon Yuri mm-hmm. and Ringers. Like, there's, they started out as a band, I guess it was early aughts. Yeah, 2005 or so. Like, I think they got signed to, um, it just to kind of uh, a spoiler alert, they were signed to a Pete Wentz's Decadence label, I think, before they played even one show. So that album came out in like 2005. Yeah. And at some point, the other Panic at the Discoers were scattered to the winds. <laughs> They're not in the band anymore. So it's just been Brandon uh, Yuri. Is it Yuri? Uri? Gosh, I, Yuri, I, I, Yuri. Well, you know, if you're listening, Brandon Yuri, like you know, right? We're we're really like going out on a limb with some of these bands, like Mona Skin, like Brandon Yuri. We 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 don't. We are not 100 percent certain how these things are pronounced. Mona Skin. We. I, I was looking at uh, their appearance on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and she pronounced it like that. So, going with the Ellen pronunciation. Of Mona Skin. Uh, but back to Panic at the Disco. You know, when I think about this band, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember like that video of Pete Buttigieg supporters? How can I forget? <laughs> dancing to High Hopes? I, I, how can I forget? Like that is the, gosh, that, I mean, if we're, if we're like doing like the time capsule of like 2020, like so much other like terrible pop, like I would say that's like that might top the Gal Gadot uh, Imagine video. Uh, oh yeah, I mean it's one of those things where, like, that's the thing that could turn me into like a Tucker Carlson viewer. <laughs> you know, like just peak like left wing lameness right there and flash mob cringe. It's like I thought we left that shit in 2012, and it's perfect that it was scored by High Hopes, uh, which 
is I'm going to use this word a few times talking about this band and the other band. Spoiler alert, it's, it's Fall Out Boy is the other band mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about here. Uh, the word crass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not talking about the punk band crass. Yeah, I was about I'm to talking say. about the word crass. The dictionary definition of crass is lacking sensitivity, refinement, or intelligence. That to me just sums up what that song is, High Hopes. And I want to talk to you about this because, and this, I guess we'll just kind of branch this into the Fall Out Boy conversation too, because Fall Out Boy has a new album coming out in in March. And so I shouldn't totally go nuts maybe in this banter segment because we'll, we'll probably review it down the road. But um, was this like the first generation of like punk bands or ostensibly punk bands that didn't have any sellout baggage because a song like high hopes is like the most egregious sellout move that i can imagine like where you are just pandering (laughs) shamelessly to the worst instincts of like modern pop music to have a hit and it worked because that song i think has been streamed 1.3 billion times lord huron numbers yeah they're they're laughing to the all the way to the bank um but it just makes you think about Green Day, like how Green Day got crucified in the 90s because they put out Good Riddance and it was an acoustic ballad and it got played at graduation parties <laughs> and that was supposedly a big sellout move. Meanwhile, bands like Panic at the Disco put out High Hopes or all the awful post-hiatus <laughs> singles that Fall Out Boy has put out, yeah. like Centuries. Oh my God. Centuries, probably the worst mainstream rock song of the last 10 years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that. Mm-hmm. Um they skate for these egregious sellout songs. Like, I see Millennial and Zoomers. I'm calling you out, Millennials <laughs> and Zoomers. Many of whom are music critics, many of whom I like, but they defend these bands. Mm-hmm. And look, sellout stuff, I don't really... I'm not, I'm not a punk purist. I'm the opposite of that. But there is something to be said about if you do something that blatant where you're just pandering to like the lowest common denominator, like you ought to get roasted for that just making a shitty song that gets streamed a billion times. You ought to get crucified. And I see so many millennial and Zoomer people who are like nostalgic for middle school who defend these bands and they're fucking awful. (laughs) Yeah. I don't fucking off. I, I don't like. I, I don't hold it against these bands for like being sellouts or whatever. Because I mean, like Panic at the Disco, like they had no cred to begin with. So I almost like appreciate their trajectory of like just making like pop music like you know he, he's a vegas guy he's like a you know a theater kid it's theater kid pop music like no different than like mike you know m-i-k-a if you remember that guy or like sia for that matter <laughs> fallout boy like i mean look pete wentz released a lifetime album on decadence you know he's got he was in like a lot of like aggressive punk bands in chicago and so i mean they're they do have like real roots but um i yeah, I would say like Fallout Boys just had just had a very interesting career in that I almost appreciate the fact that they're not trying to like represent for punk music anymore. That they're just like, yeah, here's where we are. Like we're just gonna make like jock jams, and you know what? More power to them. It's like weird because yeah, there are. Okay, you know, there are millennials or Gen Z people like being nostalgic for that shit. I mean, like, look, I liked a lot of bullshit in middle school too. And like, I can at least see how Fallout, like, I can see the appeal of early Fallout Boy. Now, mind you, this stuff was coming out when I was like 20, 
24, 25, 26, when I was like going full indie rock, like full emo rumspringa, where I like I stopped listening to that music altogether. Um, but you know, like I, I like one song from each of these two bands. Uh, I I can I can give them that. I've tried. My music writing career would be far more um, lucrative if I could like convince myself or like you know fake liking these bands or like my chemical romance but i think that's just kind of the cycle of life you know let i say let the uh, i i say let the middle schoolers and gen zers like defend this band what i can't condone is like hearing high hopes or centuries like every time i go to the grocery store or like watch espn this is where yeah, i get I, mad <laughs> i mean you know like you brought up my chemical romance or did you bring them up i did or was that just something I, yeah i, I mean look they're they're far more credible than any of these bands yeah they're they're they're, they're leagues beyond these two bands the fallout boy you know you bring up an interesting point they're better than panic at the disco yes. which in a way makes them worse yes <laughs> than panic at the disco because there is a decision it, it feels like a more conscious decision to again go the crass route to just totally make ugly sounding garish over the top horrible pop songs that are engineered to get played a lot like it just fits the radio format so well but there's no soul behind it at all there's a soul behind it but it's more like yeah centuries this this no that song is bullshit like i will defend i look their aughts era work i can see that like there's some decent stuff there but the post hiatus yeah it's terrible which by the way okay so the new album coming out in march it's called so much for stardust four is in is in parentheses i love that yes so uh, it could be so much Stardust or so much for Stardust. Uh, they released a video this week for the single uh, Heartbreak Feels So Good, uh, which has a cameo by Rivers Cuomo. Mm-hmm. Just in case you thought, could they go any lower? <laughs> which will wait, 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 yes. Who could go lower, Fallout Boy or Rivers Cuomo? Well, it's a yeah, however you want to interpret that. Uh, and <laughs> it was the video was described. By Stereo Gum as hijinks heavy. Ooh, uh, I like which I think says it all. I like japes. Yeah. I like capers. I like all that stuff. It says it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, again, like I go back, I go back to the Green Day example because I feel like they, like Billy Joe Armstrong, couldn't go to like Gilman Street anymore or whatever because Dookie sold ten million records, mm-hmm. and they were just slammed for being the sellout band. When really Billy Joe Armstrong's biggest crime is that he just writes really hooky songs. Yeah, like. I think anyone, if you're talking about pop punk, like he has to go on the Mount Rushmore, right? Yeah. Of like the greatest practitioners of that. He's a great songwriter. He just, it's like he wasn't going to be playing basement shows forever because he's just a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. That's his biggest sin. For, you know, and Green Day's made bad records too. Oh, yeah. Like they've never done anything like, again, as just egregiously sellouty as Fallout Boy. Yeah. Everything that they've done. You know, you could say like, oh, it's a little too slick or whatever, but it's still punk sounding music. Yeah. You know, they're, I don't think they've embarrassed themselves. Yeah, they wear too much mas- mascara now or like the eyeliner, yeah. the eyeliner era. And they're looking like a little waxy these days. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, the thing with Fall Out Boy too, and we're going to get off of this because I feel like this is too much anger at the beginning of this episode. Uh, no, I don't, I I don't like, want to just rant. We, we got we to let this ride, man. I, I'm, I'm feeling this. I think the thing with Fall Out Boy, it, it, 
my aversion to them, it's it 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 really starts with Patrick Stump's voice. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Stump, who seems like a very nice guy. I've seen interviews with him. He's I would love to have a cup of coffee with him. I'm sure we'd have a very pleasant conversation. But his singing voice, it just combines things that I can't stand. Like it he he has the the whiny punk guy voice, which is like the middle-aged guy that sings like he's trying to sound like he's 15 years old, mm-hmm. which I used to have more tolerance for that. I that tolerance is mostly gone at this point in my life. And then he's also like a fan of R&B, you can tell, because he does like a lot of sort of R&B vocal affectations, mm. which is great in an R&B context, but <laughs> when you have Patrick Stump doing it, along with the whiny punk guy voice, and then he's bleeding so loud in the chorus of centuries, <laughs> it's like musical kryptonite to me. I cannot stomach it, yeah. you know? And obviously a lot of people love it, it's like uniquely unbearable to me. I love the fact that like you described his voice in that manner and this guy literally made an album called Soul Punk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which like if you're Joe Strummer and you make a, a record called Soul Punk, I'll get behind that. I don't know. But, I'd uh, rather I, if we're talking about like my least favorite band ever, I would say that's like Social Distortion because <laughs> They are like they would make uh, they would they're like the type of band who really would want Joe Strummer to make an album called Soul Punk. I won't get into yeah. I won't get into social distortion. I'm not gonna like ha- I I don't want to run the risk of like walking around San Diego and have a guy like covered in Sailor Jerry tattoos beat the living shit out of me. Um, but maybe we'll save that for another episode. Just like a guy with like the greaser yeah. haircut and uh, wearing a bowling shirt. <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, so fucking you, worse. you're either, it's like you're either a social distortion fan or you're in Smash Mouth. Like, one of the two is true. Uh, you don't know for sure. Um, all right, let's get out the anger here. I've been, this is too much anger. And I apologize. I know people listen to this show in the morning. They're going to work. Maybe that was too much anger. So we're going to tone it down here. Let's talk about something that we're both happy about. And, and this is something, I guess, that we're nostalgic for. Yeah, speaking from of the shit. early aughts. Speaking of like shit, speaking <laughs> of like you know possibly shitty music led by like guys who have like very strange ideals about selling out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, yeah, there might be a hypocritical pivot here, but it's okay. We'll have to. Li- we all are contradictory human beings. It's you know? a dialogue. None of us are. Yeah. <laughs> none of us are consistent all the time. Uh, but I wrote a, a column this week about the band Swan, the short-lived. Supergroup fronted by Billy Corgan because the uh, one and only Zwan album, Mary Star of the Sea, uh, it's the 20th anniversary. I believe the release was January 28th, a day burned into music history. <laughs> uh, we all know. And it's funny because, like, I was, I started tweeting about Zwan earlier this month and I, it started out as a bit because I said, oh, there's not a whole lot going on in January. So maybe I'll write a column on Zwan. And there was so much response from people that I was like, okay, I actually have to write about Zwan now. (laughs) And uh, the thing I discovered is that there's like a passionate fan base out there for for Zwan. And obviously it's an offshoot of Smashing Pumpkins fandom, which is really, I mean, the online fandom for Smashing Pumpkins, I would put up against any 90s alt-rock band. I mean, they've really, uh, I think 
survived. Like <laughs> despite Billy Corgan's best efforts, <laughs> the fan base yeah. has survived. <laughs> and I think they've translated to younger. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. I think they've translated a bit better compared to, like, say, a, a band I wrote a book about, Pearl Jam. I mean, not even close. I think way more younger people care about Smashing Pumpkins. Um, but uh, I'm curious for your take on Mary Star of the Sea. This album is not available on uh, streaming platforms. Although, apparently, Billy Corgan said on his podcast that there's going to be a reissue of this album. <laughs> like, with tons... Because, apparently, there's, like, a ton in the vaults. Like, a ton of unreleased Swan material. I can't wait. I can't wait to be... I can't be... I can't wait for the email I get from my editors. Like, hey, Ian, there's, like, a 10-album uh, deluxe version of Mary Star of the Sea. Like, ever since I reviewed the deluxe version of The Aeroplane Flies High, uh, which was, like, a... God, it was like a 10-album reissue of a fucking, like, B-Sides <laughs> record. Like, I'm like the Pumpkins guy. I can't wait. Yep. You're going to get this one call-up for sure. Oh, I, I can't wait. Um, this is an album that I remember at the time was sort of... Uh, the reaction to it was, was pretty meh at the time. And I think <laughs> because there was a perception that Billy Corgan was just recreating the Smashing Pumpkins with a new band. And it was too soon after the peak of the Pumpkins, and it just didn't seem very fresh, especially in 2003. I mean, this is like, gosh, you know, the New York City, you know, post-punk thing was still big. Right. Uh, you know, new metal and, uh, <laughs> you know, was like the sound of like radio rock, yeah. you know, like Lincoln Park having huge hits and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually feel like this record now sounds a lot better. In part because of what came afterward, <laughs> that like on this, like like on this record, it's a little overstuffed. But I think it's the best example of Billy Corgan just writing straightforward, really catchy songs in a way that he hasn't really been able to do since then. Like, and I don't, I mean, he's always making these like huge concept records, but like with Swan, he was just like, I'm gonna try to get on the radio, and I'm gonna write really kind of catchy power pop songs almost. And that to me is like the appeal of that album. Like, the, like honestly, and lyric, like songs like that, the singles. Yeah, good songs. It's just simplified pumpkins, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and and Corgan being like, I'm I, I, I'm like Billy Joe Armstrong. I just write great melodies. I write, I great I I bang out hooks that sound good on the radio. So I don't know. Did you listen to that record at all? Like recently? I mean, because I, I feel like that's the strength of that of that record. Yeah, my history with this album is like kind of weird because. <laughs> I, I kind of don't want this album to be on streaming because it is so um, tied into its era for me. Like, not even, like, owning it on CD. Like, owning a burned copy of this CD. Like, <laughs> I, I, I had to put... Like, I have a version on my hard drive, which is just, like, really shitty. Like, 128 kilo, like KBP uh, MP3s. But even back in 2003, when, like, I, like, ripped it off, whatever, like... LimeWire or whatever was popping in 2003. Um, <laughs> I found out like a little bit later that like I had a version of Settle Down, which was like a, th it was like a 30 second loop that played for five minutes. And I realized like, wait a minute, this is not how the song actually goes, but it's not that much different than the actual song, <laughs> which is like really repetitive in and of itself. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> when, when I go back to this album, a couple things stand out. First of which is that I had no idea about the lore surrounding it. About, I mean, 
I, the same thing happened when I did a 20th anniversary piece on Machina, Machines of God, where like Billy Corgan was talking about like how he's going to have an animated series behind it and all these other things. Like I had no clue about the interpersonal beef, which God, I wish that they followed through on like filming the entire making of it. But you know, this album, I think it benefits from not being on streaming because it's the kind of album that I can trick myself into thinking is way better than it is by on account of not hearing it. I revisited this past weekend and I mean, yeah, the, the first half of it, bangers, straight through. I mean, lyrics, great song. Honestly, great song. And it's also somehow, like, worse than I remember because then you get to the second half of it where it's like, what, like, Baby Let's Rock, Endless Summer, and yeah. like I'll defend Endless all Summer. All in a row. <laughs> I, I like Endless Summer, even though you have to imagine Billy Corgan actually going to the beach. Yeah. When you listen to that song, like, The Palest Man of All Time. Uh, it's a little weird. Yeah, baby, let's rock. <laughs> it's like yeah. self-explanatory. And then the fourteen-minute uh, song. It, like we, it's it's. I, I like the fourteen-minute yeah. song. I I because that's the only song where you can hear. I assume that's Matt Sweeney okay. and David. You, you would know better Mayhew. than me. You're you're more of a uh, Super Wolf guy. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know. Like, is Billy? Because otherwise, he's just soloing all over the yeah. indie rock guys on that record. <laughs> like he, it's almost like. Billy Corgan hated indie rock so much that he's like, I'm going to get these high-profile indie rock guitarists, and I'm just going to show them up. Yeah, this man is playing five. He's playing five D chess at all time. Like I, I'm like inspired by how much Billy Corgan despises indie rock politics. You know? Yeah, it, it's so much that he yeah he forms a band with these guys, <laughs> and then yeah. It, it's a disaster. And on the other end, like you have like these, you know, these indie rock legends who are like, yeah, I'm going to get paid, which is funny because like the entire time, like Billy Corgan's like, none of these guys want to be successful. None of them want to put in the equity and they're, but like, they're all finding their ways to like con Billy Corgan. It's, it's just well, such a fast, it's such a fascinating dynamic. And like Matt Sweeney, I mean, he strikes me as like, a very nice guy yeah. who has collaborated with like a lot of different people. It seems like a pretty easy guy to work with. So it's odd that even he couldn't coexist in a bit, although it's not really odd at all. But again, I'll just say like, I've really, I really got a glimpse of like Swan fandom this month. And I, it's like, there are people who collect Swan bootlegs and <laughs> you know, they're obsessive about that band. So and I think based on the bootlegs, that's where you can really hear, what kind of band they were. Because they, they sounded really good as a band. I mean, they're a good band. Like, on the record, I'm just not sure if Billy's doing, like, the Siamese Dream thing where he's just overdubbing all the guitars. It's it's hard to tell. Because, uh, again, it sounds so much like Smashing Pumpkins. But uh, for now, you can go to YouTube and hear the record. Yeah. Or you can go to a local UCD store. <laughs> it's definitely there. <laughs> and get it. Or go on eBay uh, and get it. That's how I got it. <laughs> Uh, I think I have a couple copies of that CD actually because I couldn't find the one I had, so I bought another one while I was writing that story. Uh, let's get to our mailbag segment. Thank you all for writing in, and it's always great to hear from our listeners. Uh, you can hit us up at indiecastmailbag at gmail.com. Uh, you want to read this letter, Ian? I think I do, yeah. So this comes from Michael, a self described coastal elite in West Hollywood. Uh, it's my old stomping ground. So, uh, happy-ish new year or no happy new wish year, Stephen Ian. 
Uh, in the Rolling Stone interview with Boy Genius, their co-producer contrasts yoga sessions with Phoebe Bridges to working with Manchester Orchestra, who never want to exercise because they're nursing a bourbon hangover. This is the opposite extreme of the arm, and it got me thinking about whether there's an indie band even less likely to work out than Manchester Orchestra, and it was harder to brainstorm than I expected. I feel like Interpol are secretly ripped, while Big Thief go jogging but just don't shower or change their clothes afterwards. On the other oh, oh this. Taking shots. Taking, taking sh- shots. On the other hand, there's no way someone like James Murphy lasted two more than two weeks on a gym trial membership. So who do you guys think is the artist who, like me, feels three days of soreness every time they lift the heavy package up to their room? Okay, so we got to be positive here. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, we're, we're, we preach body positivity on this show. We do. So we're not going to. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, even James Murphy, I'm sure he I'm sure he works out. Yeah. Because the, the fact is, is that if you're a performer and you're doing like a two-hour show in front of like thousands of people, that's a physically taxing activity so like you have to be like in pretty good shape even if like you may not look like you're muscular you know like i like the guys in the national you know like they're all none of those guys are like ripped but you know they're nearing 50 yeah i think berninger might be over 50 and he's singing in front of all these people, he's got to like walk around the stage. He's also chugging some wine while singing. Yeah, wine. I, I, wine I put in like mock quotes because there's a good chance that he's like, I don't know, pounding Gatorade Zero or something in that. Well, okay, you know. All right. Well, even even if it is Gatorade Zero, it's still, uh, you're up there in front of a lot of people. If you're going to sing and play and all that stuff and you don't want to get winded after 15 minutes, I, I, I think you're at least doing some cardio. Yeah. And uh, you know, watching your what you eat to stay to stay trim. So, I imagine that every performer is probably doing some kind of gym work. I mean, you. I, I don't even know why I'm talking. You, you're the one who should be. You're the dietitian yeah. here. You should be addressing this. But does that sound right to you, though? I mean, I I, I find it hard to believe that like any performer isn't doing at least like a little bit of exercise. Yeah, I I, I think to Michael's point. Uh, when they say that Interpol are secretly ripped, I think that like most musicians who are over the age of like 35 or even 40 are definitely in better shape than younger bands. Like Interpol to me has that Trent Reznor possibility where a band that was like once associated with like this dark and druggy music, they eventually get sober and like become really into physical fitness. Like, I'm in, I'm I'm like less interested in like that these guys clearly don't work out uh bands rather than like the secretly jacked guys. Like I've seen pictures of Sufjan Stevens where that dude's like straight up guns out, man, or Colin Stetson, uh that, you know, saxophonist who looks like a uh, college football strength coach. Um I bet that James Murphy like totally ha- like does some bar classes or things like that, you know, maybe uses like his American Express points or whatever but the band that like I mean there are a lot of easy targets as far as like bands I don't imagine having a lot of physical fitness but the one band I can't imagine and we're just gonna keep it to the fellas like um the one band I can't imagine like going to the gym is actually Phoenix um I think for them it's like <laughs> it's like not I look at them it's like look at these slovenly assholes it's more like when you look at them, like they are just like such like life of leisure people that I just cannot imagine them ever breaking a sweat. Like, can you imagine Thomas Mars with like the life he lives? 
like i don't know like hanging out with sofia coppola and like trying out scarf samples like doing like deadlifts i i think that would like kind of ruin the image of phoenix if they were actually to like set foot in a 24-hour fitness or even like one of those you know those private gyms in west hollywood that michael probably drives by and like they, they it, it probably looks like you know just like a shutdown house when in actuality like the elite of Hollywood are you know doing uh doing burpees. See, I could see uh, the Phoenix guys having like a pickleball game <laughs> every week. They get together for some pickleball, and that's how they get the cardio in that they need uh, to stay fit. Uh, yeah, I, but even then, I I think you're right. I don't think they they would sweat. No. playing pickleball you know they would they would look perfectly tousled by the end of it like every hair kind of askew but perfectly um because there's also people that like they have a certain image where if they were to get fit it would actually undermine <laughs> uh their music you know like like mac demarco like mac demarco is someone who i imagine walks and probably jogs but like if he hit the weights too hard it just would be in Congress with his music. Like it wouldn't fit, you know, you don't want the guy, you know, playing chamber of reflection to be all chiseled, you know, he's <laughs> got to be a little rumpled. So I think it's that fine line. Cause you know, like Sufjan Stevens mm-hmm. is really jacked now, yeah. which is good for him. It seems like he is really happy doing what he's doing. I do think it's possible sometimes for people to get a little too jacked, you know, it's <laughs> like, you don't want to be overly muscular. It yeah, gets a little out of control. We're looking for tone here. <laughs> looking for tone, yeah. You don't need to like beat up people, especially if you're Sufjan Stevens. Not judging at all, yeah. though. Good for him. He's a happy guy, it seems like. Uh, we're happy for him here. Uh, but again, I'm not throwing stones at anybody because I'm gym-reverse myself. I do not go to the gym, but I do walk five miles every day. Mm. Get, so get those I, steps in. Yeah, I, I think that's what it takes get to my get steps 10, in. ten thousand on your uh, Apple uh, Health uh, app. You're right. <laughs> I, I I typically get between ten and thirteen thousand steps a day. So, and that's what I'm doing as a music critic because I feel like as a music critic I can't look too good. I gotta look a little rumpled myself, <laughs> so I can walk, stay in reasonable shape. But you know, no one's gonna mistake me yeah. for you can't you can't show up to the whole steady gig looking too jacked i mean that just means you're not really <laughs> listening to the music damn straight all right well let's get to the meat of our episode and i think we did hit the 30 minute mark just about i think we're we might be a few seconds over but i think we hit the 30 minutes after all the talk in the banter <laughs> that we weren't going to hit the hit the meat on time i think we actually did uh, so that's there's actually a bunch of like uh outtakes like a zwan album we have like two hours that brian cut of like you just kind of going off completely on centuries this is yeah this is we... fake <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true i was I, I i ranted for so long that i i blacked out and uh <laughs> ian went back to bed and uh, then I think you actually went into work for a bit, and then we had to call you out of work <laughs> to record the rest of this episode because I, I was just uh, I was speaking in tongues by the end. It was crazy. Uh, let's talk about uh, Monoskin right now. And again, this is our state of mainstream rock address in this episode because Monoskin, for those who don't know, this is a band from Italy, uh, and they are. Like the hot young mainstream rock band. Are they young? I don't know how old they are. They, I, I, 
are, 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 relatively young. Okay. I think they're in their twenties. All right. That's a good question. I don't know that. Maybe uh, thinking there's like a Robert Pollard thing going on here <laughs> that they were like in their mid thirties, and uh, that's when they finally hit it. I mean, they look they look young, but. I guess I'll say young in sort of like a career sense. Okay. They've been know, around since 2016. For some reason, I feel like they had been around. Yeah, I feel like they had been around for longer. But you know what? Let's yeah, 2016. They're 2016, but but they really don't enter like the worldwide consciousness until 2021. That's when they win the Eurovision Song Contest, and they did it with a cover of a 1967 Four Seasons hit called "Beggin." And I don't know if you out there in podcast land have heard the song Beggin'. I heard it on the local rock station about a year ago between Chili Peppers songs. Like they played, you know, uh, Ballad of Raindance Maggie or whatever. They did and not they played, play that one. They played they Danny played, California. They played, uh, you know, they might have played, played Other Side. They did not play Raindance Maggie. <laughs> this station goes deep with the Chili Peppers. I wouldn't be shocked if they if they dropped a little, uh, you know, Prashante-less era uh, Chili Peppers. But anyway, I heard the song on the radio. And uh kind of sounded like a klezmer version of like a Buck Cherry song to me. Uh, but huge viral hit. Streamed 1.2 billion times on Spotify. They had another viral hit. Uh, this was an original song called I Want to Be Your Slave. That's been... S- streamed about 750 million times so between those two songs over 2 billion streams uh so a big band and now they're back this month with their first mostly english language album it's called rush it's co-produced by max martin who you may know from like a million pop hits going back to backstreet boys i want it that way since you've been gone by kelly clarkson yada 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 and there's also like a long list of other producers on this record that have been associated with bands like Walk the Moon, oh, yeah. and Group Love, and Imagine Dragons, if you're wondering what zone this band is in. Is Jack Antonoff um, on there? No Antonoff. I mean, there is a woman uh, in this band, so I'm kind of surprised about that. <laughs> it's true. Antonoff, he's going to be lurking maybe at some point. Um, so I wrote about this band this week, and you know the record... We'll get to the record here in a minute, but like one of the things I was talking about in my in my column is the idea that like every few years it seems like there's a band like this that is sort of like a caricature of a rock band. Like they look and they sound like what an arena rock band was in the '80s or '90s, and it always causes people to talk about how rock is back. Like, there are no successful rock bands, nope. and now there's this band that's successful, and they're going to bring rock back. And it's always odd to me, because I always feel like there's, like, a weird cultural amnesia whenever a band like this comes along that, like, no one ever remembers the other caricature rock bands <laughs> that are successful, because there's actually quite a few, you know? Like, you've got Greta Van Fleet, oh, yeah. you've got Ghost, you've got Youngblood, uh, even someone like Harry Styles, who his music doesn't really rock, but like he acts in a way that was associated with transgressive rock stars in the seventies, and that causes people to call him a rock star. And I don't know. I, in my piece, I just was sort of bemused by this that the only bands that in, that inspire like rock is back 
conversations are like the bands that are just trafficking in the most outmoded stereotypes of like yeah. what a rock band is supposed to be. And I don't know, it's just amusing to me. But at the same time, it proves that the cliches of a caricature rock band are like pretty damn commercial. I mean, yeah, they're not doing weekend numbers or, you know, whatever the rapper du jour is, but 1.2 billion streams, that's like nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it's like pretty big. Yeah. And so there's clearly an audience for this sort of like cartoonish type rock band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, I think one of the reasons that, you know, this band might have, uh, you know, a few, the rock is back sort of uh, talk going rather than like, who the fuck are these guys? I think they can get away with looking like this, maybe because they're Italian. Like they can totally pull it off. Like, I don't think an American band can really look like this. Um, you know, my, but I think that the conversation about like Monoskin is like entirely based on streaming because like, you know, the I, I think about like how you first heard it, which was like on rock radio. And I just love how, you know, rock radio in your part of the country is exactly the same as like Southern California, <laughs> where you're either like hearing the Red Hot Chili Peppers or like not Chili Peppers. Like those are, those <laughs> right. are the two categories of rock music uh, and rock radio. But um, yeah, I heard this song first time in like 7-Eleven, which is usually where I hear like you know, like you were saying, like maybe the new Justin Bieber or like the weekend song. Like I thought it sounded like live circus mental jewelry. Um, and th- oh man, yeah, this, there was like some slap bass in there, isn't there? Ah, at least yeah, the rhythm. Some- it's it, the rhythm <laughs> itself is like kind of mental jewelry esque, like Operation uh, Spirit. But you know, like <laughs> it was like one of the songs that's like ubiquitous enough for me to hear at 7-Eleven and like I thought their trajectory would be similar to like the other band I used to hear all the time at 7-Eleven and absolutely nowhere else which was Magic and uh, their song Rude oh, I fuck, I like that song like I, I'm not gonna front but oh man that that is a that is a blast from the past yeah. by the way but um Magic yeah with with my skin I mean like it's cool I guess that like a presumably rock song is like doing those sort of numbers because if you look on spotify like rap and like you know r&b and pop are just like fucking destroying rock music like young gravy has like about as like some like i looked this up like young gravy and rich brian have like seven times as many monthly spotify listeners as boy genius um, not that that's like the only metric, but it's like the, if you're like primarily writing about like music, you know, like in Rolling Stone or the Atlantic and like it's contact with the pop world. They yeah, are like monoskin matters. But the thing about them is that they see, they also I, I I compare them to like, say, the Strokes or like Nirvana or like those bands struck me as like, OK, this is like a sea change because these bands are replicable. Like they have a, they come from a certain type of scene and they like are in a certain lineage where you can see, you know, like where you're going to get a bunch of like strokes ripoff bands. This band, you use the term dead end to describe like what Monskin are doing. And like, that's what I got when I listened to this new album. You know, it's like, I don't, I, I think that they can maybe remain popular, but aside from like working with Max Martin, which, you know, bands like Maroon 5 or Fallout Boy do anyway. I don't see how this, you know, becomes anything more than like an oddity in terms of like when we look at the 2020s in retrospect. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, 
I just find it so reductive that like this is how rock music gets defined because I personally think that you could define rock music as something much broader than it gets classified as in uh, the discourse or even like in the music industry. You know, it's like it's like if we're gonna have a uh, a popular rock band, they have to again just be like the most cartoonish caricature version of what a rock band is. Like that's the only thing that is able to break through. It'd be like if we expected rappers to dress like Run DMC mm-hmm. in 2023, you know, like just this thing that was popular a long time ago. And that's the only thing that is allowed to be hip hop <laughs> is, you know, wearing the gold chains and like the black clothes and kind of doing like the, you know, the, the kind of like, uh, you know, call and response, like sort of like the, right. the thing that like people make fun of the Beastie Boys for doing. But I mean, right, yeah, but, exactly. But like you, if that was the thing. But don't you prefer like at least the band trying to do this as opposed to like the way rock is most frequently talked about where it's like this band is like you, you mentioned it in like our uh, least favorite, um, you know, least favorite words used to describe music. It's like it's meaningful. It's like revolutionary. It's like. Uh, right. radically it's like radically open to expressing uh, our thoughts about like bodies and spaces you know like I, <laughs> I, I yeah like it's a fun record yeah I mean that's the that that's like the the upside of this band and this album is that um, you know in, in my column I think I said it was like difficult for me to hate and impossible for me to take seriously mm-hmm. you know like I don't hate this band and there's moments even where I like this record just because it is enjoyably dumb in a lot of places. Like the like the single Gossip, which is the song that Tom Morello is on. Yeah. Which of course Tom Morello is on a is in like a, a Rolling Stone video calling them like standard bearers of like the new generation yeah. of rock Tom, bands. It's Tom, like Tom Morello, like he's basically like Dave Grohl with harder left politics when it comes to like being <laughs> on documentaries. Yeah, but even Grohl I don't think would do I'm not seeing him talk about Monaskin. He, he's yet. more of like a Billy Eilish. Yeah. He's like he's got to talk about like Billy Eilish being the new Nirvana or whatever. But um, I wonder what he has to say about the. Um, oh, I'm sure he's got like. Oh yeah, boy genius. They really do remind you know me and Chris and Kurt being in Aberdeen. You know, like I'm sure he's got things to say. Yeah, I'm sure. But you know, again, I I think for what it is, it's it's an enjoyable record and. I have to say too, like that first time I heard Beggin, it did make me Shazam the song because <laughs> it was something I just did not expect. Like there is something about this band that because they're from Italy, there is like an uncanny valley quality to like the way they approach this kind of music, you know, where it's a rock band, but like it's a little off mm-hmm. and the the offness of it is what makes it interesting. Um so in that respect, I kind of just appreciate that they were able to have this weird left field hit because they do still strike me as a band that even though they've had like multiple hits, they do see, seem like a novelty band to me still. Yeah. Like I, I guess I'll see in 10 years if Monoskin is headlining Coachella and like they have all these hit records, then I'll eat my words. Yeah. But I don't know. There, there is a little like Red Said Fred <laughs> feeling to this band that it makes me wonder if that are going to be around in five years. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of hoping that um, it would sound a little more like the darkness. Like, for all the all the talk about, like, rock being back and they're, like, dangerous and they're, like, sex positive or whatever, like, I don't hear their music. Like, 
hear their music and think, oh yeah, these guys are like actually like living the stuff they say. It's like when I think about like say the darkness, at least they kind of reminded me musically of Def Leppard. And boy, that that album's gonna turn twenty this year. Um, maybe I need to pitch something. But like Buck Cherry, I at least appreciated because like they were absolutely that dumb. Uh, like they were just like kind of going for like a lobotomized like Guns N' Roses thing. And for what it's worth, like for the movies, the uh, Buck Cherry power ballad much better than the uh, Monskin uh, power ballad Time Zone. <laughs> wow i appreciate the the buck cherry deep cut there that was a very cool call there yeah um, good song let's transition here to the second band we're going to talk about which is white reaper and it's an interesting contrast with monoskin because white reaper first of all they're a band from louisville uh started making records like in the early to mid 2010s and they originated in the indie rock world and at first they sounded like a band that was almost commenting on mainstream rock. Like they were this indie band that clearly loved, you know, uh, Thin Lizzy and Ted Nugent, but because they were not actually on a major label, it was there was like a an element again of like meta commentary in the same way that there was like with early Hold Steady records. You know that like they're making records that sound like Bruce Springsteen, but they're actually like this bar band from Brooklyn. And then White Reaper, they put out this record that we both love from 2017 called uh, The World's Greatest American Rock Band. It gets a lot of buzz. They get known as a really good live band. And then they get signed to Elektra. And they put out their uh, major label debut in 2019. And uh, that record is called You Deserve Love. And they have a hit single from that record called Might Be Right. They have a new record out today called Asking for a Ride. And I'd say, like, I, I, I'm a fan of this band. You know, I, I still feel like that 2017 record is my favorite thing that they've done. But, you know, you were talking about how you're glad that a glad that a band like Monoskin exists, that they're competing on that level. And uh, I, I feel the same way about White Reaper, even though, like, they're not nearly as streamed as Monoskin is. There's an element to this band where, like, they feel like a big cult band. Mm-hmm. In the same way, like, like, to me, the best comparison I would make white reaper is to cheap trick which was another band that came out of the middle of the country that entered the major label system and they had all these hits but they were always able to retain this sort of like knowing sense of humor about what they did that they could be an arena rock band but on some level they were also not poking fun at it but giving it a somewhat subversive edge and White Reaper, to me, feels like that kind of band. And the difference is, is that they're no longer the indie band commenting on mainstream rock. Now they're a mainstream rock band making mainstream rock. But I still feel like that edge is there. And it's, the, it's that edge that I think makes me like them. Even after they've moved on to a major label. Like, I like these last two records. I don't know how you feel about those. Uh, like, were you a fan of their 2019 record? Yeah, I mean... to. D- d- what what surprised me about this band is when they first started out, like I just kind of figured they were like, you know, just some like garage rock band on some like, you know, let's play like burger record, like burger Rama type shit. But then I was really into the world's best American rock band. That's the album they released in 2017. Like not coincidentally, I happened to be living in Kentucky at that time. So 
Um, yeah, the, I saw the release show uh, for that album in Louisville, which was fucking phenomenal. That was so much fun. And then, oddly enough, they were the... Uh, I saw them in early 2020 on, like, some random Wednesday night. And, like, I left after 30 minutes because, like, they went on at, like, 11.30. And that was, like, the last show I saw before the pandemic. It was just, like, this... Comp- like, I... I wanted like my last pre-pandemic show to be this huge event. No, it was just like some white reaper show on a Wednesday. But you know, when I heard that, as far as like how I view them, like you mentioned cheap trick, what they remind me of. And I think the reason why they're a great pairing with Monoskin on this episode is that in the same way that like <laughs> you compared Monoskin to like Aerosmith's circa get a grip. Uh, this reminds me of the song, the bands that I would see on MTV alongside like them playing the Alicia Silverstone videos 5 billion times a day, which is like these bands that were like on an indie rock label, like maybe in the late eighties, early nineties, and then get promoted to a major label and then like end up with a hit similar to like, say like meat puppets or something like that. Not that they like sound urge like, overkill. Yeah. Like urge overkill or like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was like surprised they got like signed by a major label because like who the, like, how is this going to work? And yet, Might Be Right actually became a hit. Like, I think it took a lot of Electra Elbow Grease um, to do so. But what was interesting to me about that album um, is that it didn't remind me of, like, Cheap tricks so much as, like, and again, I'm going to be very on brand here. It reminded me of, like, Hot Hot Heat's major label album or just, like, the album that, like, came after the indie rock uh, peak it just it made me think of like a band that would have come out like post post strokes OC music like um, not exactly like French Kicks but like the sort of band that you would that they wore skinny jeans and they made like rock songs about girls and like you know they had they they showed up on maybe an episode of the OC and you know got like a six point two on Pitchfork or something like that. Um, I didn't love that album, um, but, you know, the new one, I think it kind of gets back into more of, like, what they do really well. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, meta commentary goes, I often, I, I think of them alongside, like, another polyvinyl band, Japan Droids, in that, you know, it's a lot more fun when they're, like, imagining being rock stars than it is when they actually get there. Like, the, when they finally get access to, like, you know, a major label producer or like major label finances or like they're opening for like Pearl Jam and shit. Um, it, there's just like something that like seems a little, le- it's a little less fulfilling than when they were like imagining like trashing, trashing like hotel rooms while like just being this like Louisville band on polyvinyl. Like I, I, I appreciate their existence. I like this new record it's very fun and very like low stakes fun. But, um, you know, I think this is just kind of, I mean, you're a bit, I, I feel like you're a bigger cheap trick expert than I am. I don't know how you feel about the flame. That was the first cheap trick song I heard. And I know that was like right. straight song doctor shit. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like the flame on this record. And I like the flame by the yeah. way, cause Robin Zander is a great singer and he sings the hell out of it. But, uh, I think with this, uh, new White Reaper record, they do strike a good balance between what they were before they signed to Elektra and what they were afterward. Like, if you listen to You Deserve Love, that record was produced by Jay Joyce, who is a long-tenured record producer. He's probably best known for, like, 
being Eric Church's producer, (laughs) which tells you like how much in the zone of mainstream rock that record is. Although I think, and I revisited that album this morning, it, it actually sounds less slick than I remember it. I think coming after the world's greatest American rock band, it was a little jarring hearing that album. Uh, but now it, it feels more of like what they actually are than maybe it felt at the time. And this new record, uh, it does feel like a little grittier, I think, than the previous record. And it rocks harder, if I can say that. Um, well, at the same time, having that uh, kind of fun rock and roll vibe that like all White Reaper records have. You know, you talked about how you feel like they were more fun when they were imagining being rock stars than maybe they are at this point. I mean, I would say that they're still not really rock Oh, no, stars, not by you know? no fucking stretch of the imagination. Like, you know, so they still have, again, like that cult underdog band appeal that I think that they've always had. Like, they, they, they're the kind of band that like makes big sounding rock records that used to be more popular than they are now. Like, if this band came out in the 90s, they would probably be more successful because the kind of thing that they're doing, it's it's a traditional classicism type thing. It's a, it's a classic rock, really. And I know, and again, this is where I'm going to be contradicting myself. I was criticizing Monoskin for being a caricature of a rock band. I don't think White Reaper is a caricature. They're actually, uh, you know, I think they're partly winking at this kind of music and at the same time they're executing it about as well as you could hope for from a band in 2023 this is like the lester bangs like fog or lester bangs guess who like jim morrison sort of dynamic isn't it well yeah although he would defend monas yeah i think i think i think he would be like uh you know, Lester Banks would say that Monoskin have the courage to be buffoons, which makes them poetic. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> That's what he says about the guests. That's what Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Banks says about the guess who in Almost Famous. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is a band I like. I cheer for them. Mm-hmm. I hope that they can stay in the system because, because they have that major label budget. They can just make really beautiful sounding rock records. Yeah. And this record sounds great. You know, again... It sounds like a record like Celebration Rock with a bigger budget and like more of a sense of humor. Yeah. You know, I also hope that like their success, like if they are successful, this will lead to like more bands taking a similar approach where like they, you know, they put out a record on an indie label and then they get called up to a major. And, you know, whether like even if they're not like the type of band who like, uh, you know, tops critics list, I mean, you know, there was like that period of time where. Um, you know, Columbia was signing like Vampire Weekend and or Atlantic signing War on Drugs or LCD Sound System. Like, I, I'm hoping like one of the bands that might be in like our recommendation corner, which this album would have been if it was 2017, um, you know, they, they get a chance to get that major label funny money. Yep. And our people listen to our show and <laughs> sign all these bands, please. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, take it away. All right, so this album actually doesn't come out until Saturday the 28th, which is a little unusual. I'm I'm not, uh, aside from like a surprise drop, I've never heard of such a thing. But um, I believe I talked about this band on a 2021 episode of IndieCast. It's a band called Paranool. Actually, it's not even really a band. 
Um, it's a, I think it's just one person. It's a still anonymous uh, Korean artist who operates, in, they've been called, they operate in a space that's either described as shoegaze or dream pop or fifth wave emo. Um, and their new album uh, is called After the Magic. And it's a follow-up to See the Next Part of the Dream, which came out in 2021. Um, this one goes in directions that um, I am a personally huge fan of, such as like early M83 or maybe Zwan or Filters Take a Picture. Uh, some of it also sounds like Dunyan playing Jimmy Eat World's Clarity. Um, I guess the fact that it is made by an anonymous artist makes uh, it a lot easier to to project a lot of comparisons onto it. But um, it's easily one of my favorite records of the year so far. You know, this and Fireworks have really stood out for me. But um, just really wild to see a anonymous artist um, kind of functioning in 2023 but like not like The weekend or not like, you know, Burial. Um, it's music that you would expect a band to make and like a band who's like on Twitter talking about like what baseball, like what their fantasy baseball team is looking like. Um, yeah, I would say if like, this basically sounds like 75% of the bands I mentioned on Recommendation Corner all in one. So um, yeah, when this, when this drops on Saturday, uh, check it out. Love this record. Can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, the filter take a picture <laughs> reference. It has acoustic yeah. guitars and like kind of like a synthesized like bongo on one of the songs. Ooh. So yeah, that's that's where that comes from. You're selling me on this record. I'm I'm very curious to hear it. Uh, an album I'm going to be talking about actually came out in December, but I just heard it this month and I've been listening to it a lot. It's called Anyhow and it's by a guy named Leland Witty. You may know him as the multi-instrumentalist from the Canadian jazz funk band Bad Bad Not Good. Uh, I've been a fan of Bad Bad Not Good for a while. Uh, a casual fan but really enjoy their records. I would say that like there's a big jam band cons constituency with that group too but again they do also exist in the jazz sphere as well. This solo record from from Witty is definitely uh, you know in that same lane as the Bad Bad Not Good records. Although I would say there's a little bit more of like a psych pop vibe to the record. It, at times it made me think about Air with like more saxophones huh. on it, you know. So it has that kind of uh, you know slightly retro sound with just amazing instrumental tones, like cool sounding drums and guitars and keyboards and and all that stuff and uh i've been just listening to this record a lot really good wintertime album really good just kind of like vibe type record uh and yeah i missed it in december but uh better late than never and better late than never for all of you so definitely check it out leland witty that's w-h-i-t-t-y the record is called Anyhow. Anonymous Korean shoegaze, Canadian jazz. We, we there's a little there's some for everyone here in this recommendation corner. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be we'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. 